Good morning. Greet each of you in Jesus' name this morning. So we're privileged to meet together on the second day of a brand new year. And I don't know, I think different people are different when you come to the beginning of a new year. But a new year invokes in many of us and uh, the desire to maybe look back and do some reflecting on the past year, as well as uh, maybe to take a time and look ahead to the new year and make some plans. Some people make New Year's resolutions. And you know, as we do those things, Uh, we can't change what the past year holds. And we can't determine completely what the new year is going to hold. But there are some things that we can do to help ourselves to be aligned more fully, more completely, with God and His will as we go into a new year. So I wanna, this isn't, I don't know if this is really so much a New Year's message as just a message that I feel like sometimes we need to hear some of these things. Uh, some reminders to keep us on, on track in our lives. But I believe that uh, the message this morning can be a New Year's message because it, it, it affects how, how we view life. <clears throat> a number of years ago, I was at a seminar, a business seminar, that uh, it was at the end of the year and the focus was to be thinking about the, the previous year and, and making plans and goals for the coming year. And there was one thing that stood out to me and really got the wheels of my mind rolling And that was the, the speaker or the person that was putting on the seminar. He really had a, a strong push to not allow your, your work life to become your life, to consume you. He said, you know, in, in the business world, we need, to, uh, we need to work hard, but then we need to reward ourselves. And he strongly advocated having a bucket list. And a bucket list is a list of things that a person wants to do in their life before they die, before they kick the bucket. And that little uh, exercise at that seminar where he talked about that really got my mind rolling and made me think of a scripture that 
I feel like applies to this. And so we're going to kind of leave that thing of the bucket list uh, set for right now. We'll come back to it. But I invite you to turn with me to Malachi chapter 3. I think we'll go ahead and read the entire passage here of Malachi 3. I'm going to just simply then go through and, and pick out some highlights of this chapter and, and kind of what it's about and learn a few lessons from it. Malachi 3, Behold, I will send my messenger, and he shall prepare the way before me, and the Lord whom you shall whom you seek shall suddenly come to his temple, even the messenger of the covenant, whom you delight in. Behold, he shall come, saith the Lord of hosts. But who may abide the day of his coming? And who shall stand when he appeareth? For he is like a refiner's fire and like fuller's soap. And he shall sit as a refiner and purifier of silver. And he shall purify the sons of Levi and purge them as gold and silver, that they may offer unto the Lord an offering in righteousness." Then shall the offering of Judah and Jerusalem be pleasant unto the Lord as in the days of old, as in the former years. And I'll come to you to come near to you to judgment, and I'll be swift witness against the sorcerers, and against the adulterers, and against false swearers, and against those that oppress the hireling in his wages, and widows and the fatherless, and turn aside the stranger from his right, and fear not me, saith the Lord of hosts. For I am the Lord, I change not. Therefore, you sons of Jacob, are not consumed. Even from the days of your fathers, ye are gone away from mine ordinances, and have not kept them. Return unto me, and I will return unto you, saith the Lord of hosts. But ye said, Wherein shall we return? Will man rob God? Yet you have robbed me. But ye say, Wherein have we robbed thee? In tithes and offerings. Ye are cursed with a curse, for ye have robbed me, even this whole nation. Bring ye all the tithes into the, the storehouse, that there may be meat in mine house, and prove me now herewith, saith the Lord of hosts. If I will not open the windows of heaven and pour out a blessing, that there shall not be room enough to receive it. And I will rebuke the devourer for your sakes, and he shall not destroy the fruits of your ground, neither shall your vines cast her fruit before the time in the field, saith the Lord of hosts. And all nations shall call you blessed, for you shall be a delightsome land, saith the Lord of hosts. And your words have been stout against me, saith the Lord. Yet you say, Where have we spoken so much against thee? Ye have said, It is vain to serve God. And what profit is it that we have kept his ordinance, and that we have walked mournfully before the Lord of hosts? And now we call the proud happy. Yea, they that work wickedness are set up. Yea, they that have tempted God are even delivered. Then they that feared the Lord spake often one to another, and the Lord hearkened and heard it, and a book of remembrance was written before him for them that feared the Lord, and they brought and they thought upon his name. And they shall be mine, saith the Lord of hosts, in that day when I make up my jewels, and when I spare them as a man spareth his own son that serveth him. Then shall you return and discern between the righteous and the wicked, between him that serveth God and him that serveth him not. So the prophet Malachi 
just as a little bit of a background, he prophesied around the time of the return of the Jews from their exile in Babylon. When they returned to Jerusalem and rebuilt the temple, rebuilt the city, Malachi was likely a contemporary of Ezra and Nehemiah, or at least somewhere in, in that basic time frame. And so he is speaking here in this passage to those of the Jewish people who had experienced the, the exile from their homeland. They had been spent 70 years in captivity and had just recently returned home. And we would think that after having been punished for turning away from the Lord, having spent 70 years in captivity, you would think that they would have been sold out to serving the Lord. They would have been wholeheartedly devoted to Him. But we see here that was not the case. We see here that they still were not in full obedience to the Lord. So in the first five verses of this chapter, we see him speaking of the prophecy of the one who is to come to prepare the way of the Lord. And then following that one that would prepare the way, he says, the Lord will appear. The Lord that they were seeking. So I believe that these people were looking for the coming of the Messiah, the coming uh, one that would deliver them and, and would be their, their king. The one who would set things right. They, it, it's clear in this passage that they, they, these people clearly felt that they were not living under God's full blessing. They, they knew that something was missing. And I believe that they were looking for the one that would set things right. But, but Malachi says that he's not going to be what you're expecting. He says he's going to be a, a, a refiner and a purifier. And he speaks of purifying the sons of Levi. And I believe that's maybe speaking about setting things right in a religious sense. And, and maybe has a, a, an implication for us today in that we as born-again believers in the New Testament era are a kingdom of, of priests to God. I believe it is speaking of proper worship being instituted. But notice the purpose of that refining and purifying in verse 3 and also in, in verse 4. It says that he'll be a refiner and a purifier, etc. And then it says that, that they may offer unto the Lord an offering in righteousness. And then in verse 4, that the offering of Judah in Jerusalem would be pleasant unto the Lord as it was in the former days. This purifying that he was speaking of, of happening, it was, it was in an effort to bring the people to 
a right relationship with God. God was looking for right and proper sacrifices and worship from the people. As I was saying earlier, it's fairly easy to see that that there was a missing component in their relationship with God. And it says that uh, it, it alludes to the fact that they, they were not making proper sacrifices and worshiping in a proper way. If you go back to Malachi chapter 1, you see that where they were offering blemished sacrifices to the Lord. So maybe the people at that time were making offerings and serving the Lord. Maybe it was kind of out of obligation. Their heart really wasn't in it. Maybe they were trying to worship the Lord enough to, to stay in His good graces, to stay in His favor, but not really out of a deep heart of, of, of devotion to God, not out of a desire to live a righteous life. Rather, maybe they were just simply serving the Lord out of obligation. It's who we are, it's where we find ourselves, and so this is what we'll do. In verse 5, God gives, a, through the prophet, gives a list of things he was going to bring judgment on them for. You know, they had just came back from 70 years of judgment. Here God is saying, you're, you're facing judgment again. And he says that he was going to judge them for, for adultery, for sorcery, for false swearing or, or telling, telling lies, oppression of, of widows, fatherless, and, and the hireling, and injustice. These were things that God's saying, it's not right, it's not of my character. These things need to be purged out of your midst. These were things that went against God's commands and His character. Do you ever think about that God has all these commandments in the Bible that He wants His people to obey? Why does God give those commandments? It's because they are in keeping with His character. It's not because God says, well, I'm just going to make this set of rules that I want my people to follow. No, it's because this is, they describe God's character and unless we are willing to submit ourselves to those commands of God which are set us on a path of living according to His character, we're going down, down a different path. So God wanted, He said, I'm gonna, you, you have to get these things right or you're going to face judgment. These things that they were doing grieved the Lord. His desire was that they would wholeheartedly turn to Him. And He has that invitation in verse 7, Return unto Me, and I will return unto you, saith the Lord of hosts. 
But notice the mindset of the people. When, when God said, return to me and I will return to you, the people said, wherein shall we return to you? How, how are we going to return to you? They were saying, we can't return. We're already serving you. So see, there was a disconnect. The, the people thought they were serving God, but God was saying, you are facing judgment. You're not really serving me. So in spite of the fact that they were making sacrifices and giving God lip service at least, they were, they were deceiving themselves. They didn't understand that they were doing things. They may have been making sacrifices. They may have been giving lip service to God, but yet they were doing things that were causing a separation between them and God. They were obviously regarding their religion, their religious life, and their secular life as two separate things. We talked about that a little bit in Sunday school, in the men's Sunday school class, that your grace isn't something that en enables God to forgive us and we can just live as we please, but grace is something that, allow the, that gives us the power to live our daily life according to God's principles. But moving on here, we see the Lord's answer to them when they said, but how, how can we return? He goes on to tell them that they have robbed him and they are under a curse. It says they've robbed him in tithes and offerings. We don't understand real well all in our setting all of the tithes and offerings and sacrifices that were required of the Jewish people under the law. But it was God had required these things. There were sacrifices for forgiveness. There were sacrifices of, of praise and thanksgiving. And then there was, there was tithes and offerings. And those tithes and offerings were in place to supply for the needs of the priests and Levites who did not have an inheritance, a uh, physical uh, inheritance of, of land like the rest of the tribes of Israel. And it also helped to provide for the poor of the land. And God says that you have robbed me because you have not been bringing these tithes and offerings. So God's saying that to the people that you all have been holding back from me what is truly mine. In essence, robbing God. So, God says that you're robbing me, but then in verses 10 through 12, we see that God is really saying that in robbing me, you have robbed yourselves. He says, bring me all the tithes into the storehouse that there may be meat in my house and prove me now hear what saith the Lord of hosts. If I will not open you the windows of heaven and pour out, pour you out a blessing that there shall not be room enough to receive it. And then he goes on to say how he will protect them from 
the, the devourer, the, the, the pests that would devour their crops, their, their, their crops would succeed. And in verse 12, it says, the nations will call you blessed. He says that if you do things my way, there is a blessing here waiting for you that you all cannot even imagine. And the people around you are going to look on and say, these people are blessed. So what they didn't realize is they're holding back for themselves. They were robbing God and in turn, they were shortchanging themselves of God's blessing. In verses 14 and 15, we can see that the people realized that they weren't experiencing God's full blessing. And they were saying that it's, it's vain or it's futile to serve the Lord. They say, here we are, we're trying to serve the Lord and things just aren't really going that well. You ever hear people talk like that today? Yeah, try to do things right and everything seems to turn out wrong. What they didn't realize is that and what God was trying to say is that you're experiencing that diminished blessing because you're truly not fully devoted to me. But then moving on, the last couple verses of the chapter, there 16 through 18, he speaks of another group of people. A group of people that didn't have the problems of the first group says that they feared the Lord and they talked one to another. We don't know what they were talking about to one another, although we can imagine that they're talking about the things of God. Their focus was different. Their focus was on, on the Lord. And it says that they, they feared the Lord. And we see the difference in the, between them and the group earlier group that didn't fear, fear the Lord. It says here that this group, that God's blessing was not just upon them in this earth, but it says that in the day when the Lord will come to claim those are, that are His, that he would, uh, and in that day when I shall make up my jewels, and I will spare them as a man spareth his son that serveth him. In that term, make up his jewels, that the term of jewels is better interpreted as his treasured possession. So these people who were, who feared the Lord and had their focus on him, God says, they are my treasured possession. What a vast difference between those that God says you're under a curse because you're robbing me versus God saying, these people over here are my treasured possession. Now back to that concept 
concept of a bucket list. I want to talk about that and why it made me think about this passage. As that seminar leader spoke of the concept of having a bucket list, of a list of things to do to reward yourself for your hard work and your success in life, he, uh, we had papers we were supposed to fill out. And he, he had some different categories, and I forget anymore what they were. I think it was things like travel and financial and maybe family and, and different things. And he started mentioning some possible things to put on, these, on this list in these different categories. And some other people started throwing out some ideas. And those ideas were things like exotic travel destinations, uh, thrilling adventures, pleasurable experiences, uh, gaining lots of, of earthly wealth. And at first, I just didn't really think much about it. And I think I, I forget. I think I started scratching down a few things. And the more I thought about it, the more disillusioned I started to become. I started to realize that this whole exercise was a real reflection on the society that I find myself living in today. The idea is that it's my life that I'm living. I'm working hard. I'm getting ahead in life. And there's certain rewards that I deserve there's certain things that I deserve to be able to indulge in before I die. I deserve some rewards for my hard work in this life. <clears throat> What's the underlying theme of that mentality? The underlying theme of that mentality is serving self. And it's a strong theme in our culture. And it's a theme that unless we guard against it, it will permeate our thinking. And when it permeates our thinking, it will permeate our actions. And it will lead us to right where these people were in Malachi 3. To where we're saying, it's kind of futile to do all these things serving God. Not experiencing His blessing. 2 Timothy 3, 1 through 5 says this. This know also that in the last days perilous times shall come, for men shall be lovers of their own selves. Think about that in relation to what we're talking about this morning. Lovers of the, their own selves. And I just put in parentheses here, looking for all kinds of ways to indulge and gratify self. Covetous. That's speaking of, of having a desire for something out there that I want, I want, but it's not mine. Boasters, and I put their posting their accomplishments on Facebook and YouTube, etc. 
proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but not denying the power thereof from such turn away. It's just like the people in Malachi's time. Lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God. Having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof. See, these people had a form of godliness. They said, we're, we're serving God, we're, we're making sacrifices, but God isn't blessing us. But it's because they, they truly weren't fully committed to God. I think that these verses warn us of what we see in society around us. And as we look at the gospel, as we look at Jesus' teachings about denying self, about serving others, I believe it's clear that the teachings of Christ and the direction of the world that we live in are not compatible. They're divergent paths, and we must make a choice on which path we're going to be on. We can't long straddle the line on, on these two paths because they, they diverge. They get further and further apart. Our society has largely turned its back on God. And at the same time, it has embraced the concept of living the good life, of pursuing pleasure and, and fun and wonderful experiences in life. And why is that? It's because as human beings, we have a choice. We either serve God or we serve self. And the masses of this world have chosen to serve self. But we have the gospel message and we can choose to serve the Lord. In Malachi's day, the people asked, how have we robbed God? And the answer was in tithes and offerings. But I had to ponder that as I was thinking about this whole thing of the bucket list concept and rewarding self. I had to ponder how have we, how have I robbed God? So in Malachi's day, they're they robbing God to, by failing to pay Him by giving their tithes and offerings, by failing to pay Him what they owed. But I ask in our day, are are, are you and I giving God what we owe Him? Or are we allowing our goals, are we allowing our bucket list to rob God? Do we ever need to say no to God when He asks us to do something because it's going to affect my goals for personal pleasure, personal accomplishment? 
Do I allow the things of self to get in the way of God's work? Is the work of God's church suffering because of my personal goals and ambitions? I believe that we can be just like those in Malachi's day and rob God of what is due Him. And by doing so, we think we're retaining something for me. We think we're gaining something for ourselves. But that's not what God says here in Malachi 3. He says when we try to retain for ourselves, we're robbing Him, but in reality, we are robbing ourselves of God's blessing. We see it all around us. We see people that profess Christ, but yet they exemplify broken relationships. They exemplify basically all of the, the bad things in this world. They aren't experiencing God's blessing. And why? It's because they are, they are not sold out to God. They're shortchanging God by not giving Him their all. But in the end, they're shortchanging themselves. God told the people there in Malachi's day that, it, that he, in essence, He said, try me. Just try me. Bring, bring into the storerooms all of the tithes and offerings and see if I won't pour out a blessing so large that you don't have room to store it all. So whose responsibility is it to make the first move? You know, we want to experience God's blessing. In our humanness, we want to say, God, you bless me and then I'm going to serve you. But God's saying, that's not how it works. You serve me. You give me all. And you're going to experience tremendous blessing in return. And I, I don't have time to go into all of this, but some of that comes as, as, as our mindset changes, as we give ourselves fully to the Lord. Our mindset changes as to what is a blessing. Because if we're serving self, what we see is the ultimate goals and blessings of life is different than when we are sold out to serving the Lord. When we sell out to serving Him, our goals and, and, and what we view as a blessing will change. And I believe that God's promise is still good today that if we give Him all, that He will pour out an abundant blessing upon us. Not necessarily a, a monetary, physical blessing, but a spiritual blessing that we cannot imagine and measure.
So here at the beginning of this new year, what's on your bucket list? What are your goals? Are your goals for personal enjoyment? Selfish fulfillment like so many in the world around us? Or is your list comprised of things that are going to give God what is due Him? The year is before us. You have 360 three and a half days left. So the year is before us. It's our choice what we're going to do. It's our choice what goals we're going to pursue. And I believe that God would tell us today, try me in this and see if I will not pour out on you a tremendous blessing as you put me first in your goals, and in your planning. Will we dare to be different and have different goals than what the world around us says are important? Are we, will we dare to be different than those who choose to rob God? Are we willing to be lovers of God more than lovers of pleasure? So let's all strive in 2022 to be numbered with those whose names were written in God's book of remembrance because they feared Him, because they served Him, because they were sold out to Him. Not with those that God said that you're under a curse because you're robbing me. May God add His blessing. We have a song.